0: Greetings friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, October the 3rd. We continue our look at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Today we're going to be in 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read it in the message translation. 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. So friends, it's obvious that our visit to you was no waste of time. We had we had just been given rough treatment in Philippi, as you know, but that didn't slow us down. We were sure of ourselves in God and went right ahead and set our peace, presenting God's message to you, defiant of the opposition. And God tested us thoroughly to make sure we were qualified to be trusted with this message. Be assured that when we speak to you, we're we're not after crowd approval, only God approval. Since we've been put through the, that battery of tests, you're your guarantee that both we and the message are free of error, mixed mixed motives or hidden agendas. We never use words to butter you up. No one knows that better than you. And and God knows we never used words as a as a smokescreen to take advantage of you. Even though we had had some standing as Christ's apostles, we never threw our weight around or or tried to come across as important with you or anyone else. We weren't standoffish with you. We we took you just as you were. We were never patronizing, never condescending, but we cared for you the way a mother cares for her children. We loved you dearly, not, not content to just pass on the message. We wanted to give you our hearts, and we did. You remember us in those days, friends, working our fingers to the bone up half the night, moonlighting so you wouldn't have the burden of supporting us while we proclaimed God's message to you. And You saw with your own eyes how discreet and courteous we were among you, with keen sensitivity to you as fellow believers. And God knows we weren't freeloaders. You experienced it all firsthand. With each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his kingdom, into this delightful life. Paul was a master shepherd, and we have evidence of this in his letters to the various churches, and especially in this first letter to a church, which he founded in the city of Thessalonica. And in the first 12 verses of chapter 2, we get a sense of this deep concern for the spiritual development of these believers. This paragraph provides an incredible model for ministry. And while there's no doubt that Paul is defending himself from some criticisms that had arisen after he had left Thessalonica, obviously some people in the city were trying to accuse him of wrong motives for his ministry, and and he is answering that, yet there emerges in this section a picture of how a good shepherd works. But you may be asking, well, how does this apply to me? Does Paul have anything to say to me? But I remind us of something which we have talked about a lot at Benaro Christian Fellowship, and that is that every believer is in the ministry, quote unquote. We all have pastoral responsibilities. If you are a parent, you have a little flock at home to whom you should minister. This passage helps us minister effectively. Some of us have friends we meet at breakfast or lunch. Some of us have a Bible study in our home. This passage teaches how to be effective in in any ministry, how to love people. And the first six verses reflect one of the primary qualities necessary in a good shepherd. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, verse 1, reading from the English Standard Version now, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. That is, his hard work had been effective. He had left a church there in Thessalonica, although the detractors were trying to suggest that he had wasted his time. Here is why his work was effective. Verse 2, But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Courage. That is the first essential quality of a good shepherd: courage. Do we sometimes find it hard to bring up a subject that needs to be discussed? That's when courage is required. Paul, of course, is here referring to physical courage. He really is understanding the case when he says he he sh- he was shamefully treated and that he had suffered in Philippi. Actually. This was one of three times when he was beaten with thick rods and then thrown into prison, a Roman form of, of punishment. There, there, Although he and Silas were, were thrust into stocks and held immobile, they began to sing praises to God. Furthermore, Paul had, had suffered insult and, and being mocked and stripped of his clothes in public by order of the magistrates in Philippi. His Roman citizenship, citizenship completely ignored, didn't mean a thing. Even when he was freed by an earthquake, he was ordered out of town by the authorities. Yet he went bravely on to Thessalonica, knowing that the same thing would happen there. You cannot read the life of Paul. We cannot read the life of Paul and fail to see the tremendous amount of courage that he demonstrated in his ministry. When a riot broke out in Ephesus, he actually tried to face down the mob who were who were bent on on ending his life. He had to be restrained by his friends to keep from sacrificing himself to the mob's fury. Where did he get this courage? Some say that Paul was courageous by nature, that he would take on anything or anyone. But certain verses indicate that that's really not true. He was like you and I. When he came into Corinth and began to preach, he did so in his own words with much fear and trembling. That's 1 Corinthians 2. Corinth intimidated him. And some of us who want to reach out to our our fellow workers or, or our parents or students feel intimidated at times by the atmosphere around us. Maybe it's the atmosphere of our workplace. Paul felt that very strongly. In Ephesus, he wrote, there were fightings without and fears within. So no, Paul was not naturally courageous. He was like most of us. You know, by nature, I'm probably a devout coward. The few times in my life that I have shown courage were simply the grace of God at work. And and in the next verses, Paul declares very clearly, both negatively and positively, what what is behind his courage. Beginning with verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any Attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or, nor with a pretext of greed. God is, God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as, as apostles of Christ. Many people can appear to be courageous and bold, but for the wrong reasons. And Paul lists his reasons here. First, he says, he did not preach out of error of or uncleanliness. In other words, he, he did not come um, some particular private revelation. Paul did not come to Thessalonica peddling any private doctrine. It was the truth of God confirmed by the prophets and by Jesus Christ. And he didn't, he did, uh, nor did he come inviting people to sexual license, enabling them to indulge themselves, to throw over all moral bonds, do whatever they like. This, this, That is how some attract a big following, but this was never part of Paul's doctrine. Also, guile or flattery and greed played no part in his preaching. Others offer promise of prosperity. If you follow them, they say, you'll become rich. That, that was not Paul's doctrine either. We did not come with a cloak for greed, he says. He would have nothing to do with it. And as we will see, he refused to even he refused even to let the Thessalonians support him in any way. Though later he received help from the Philipp, from the Philippians, he came to Thessalonica intent on giving them something they desperately needed, and he supported himself until they had received it. And then finally, he says, still putting it negatively, he did not come to seek fame or status in the eyes of men. In verse six, nor did we seek glory from men, whether from you or from others though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He, He could have played on this position and this authority as an authorized spokesperson of Jesus, but he did not want anything for himself. He did not slant his message, slurring over some of the unpleasant aspects of the truth to appeal to the popular mind. He was honest and faithful, and he ministered to them truthfully regardless of whether he received any praise, any glory, or even any thanks. None of these motives were behind his preaching. Not error, not uncleanliness, not flattery, greed, ambition. Well, what did motivate him then? What produced this kind of courage? We learn the answer in verse 4. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God. Who test our hearts. That verse gives us two things that motivated Paul. First of all, he was intensely grateful for the sheer honor of proclaiming the gospel, the good news about God. Four times in these verses, in verse 2, 4, eight, and 9, he makes mention of the gospel of God. He gloried in the fact that God had called him to deliver a message that people desperately needed. God had committed the message to Paul and to us that we might share it with others. What an incredible honor that is to proclaim what Paul calls the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians 3.8. Could there be anything greater than that? That's how Paul felt. And it continually motivated him. More than that, he says, he was energized by this desire to please God. Now, the only reason anyone has a desire to please God is because they have learned to love him. And we never truly try to please God if we do not love God. We may try to please him to get something for ourselves. Some have. That is their motive. But if we really want to please God, if that is a strong, impelling, compelling force within us, it is because we have learned that God already loves us. That's why we sing so many songs that speak about the love of God for us this that is what drives us to want to please God this was always Jesus's motive himself he said to himself I do always those things which please my father it was not because he wanted something from God he could have had anything he wanted but because he loved him and so wanted to please him Bold, blustery Peter felt this, this powerful, powerfully when he met with the Lord after the resurrection by by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asked him three times that question, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? All Peter could finally say was, Lord, you know that I love you. That's what brought him back from the moment of his disobedience and weakness. He knew that he loved him because Jesus had first loved him. That is truly the wellspring of courage. If we need courage, we can't summon it up from within ourselves. We have to begin to think about the love of God, about the honor of walking with him and of speaking of the truth to others. Soon we find ourselves driven, compelled as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. The love of Christ compels me, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. That is the secret of his courageous activity. The second quality of a good shepherd is found in verse 7 through 9. So first of all, we have courage. And then here we go with verse 7 through 9. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, caring of their own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we work day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. That can only be described as a sensitive love, a love deeply desiring of blessing someone and finding gentle, tender ways of communicating that. Perhaps the first need in loving is to learn to do it gently. Love often has to be strong and tough. It must sometimes rebuke, but it has to learn how to do so gently. And that is what Paul did. He came among them as a nursing mother feeding her children, delighted to minister to their need. Paul could be stern and sharp, but when he was with someone alone, he was gentle. And that is the mark of a true shepherd. There's a second manifestation of a loving spirit in the words, being affectionately desirous of you. That is an, that's an unusual phrase. It's not often found in Scripture. Literally, it means a yearning, a longing for you. This is how parents feel about their children. There is a yearning after them, an affectionate desire to see them blossom, to go in the right direction. And that's a characteristic of those who seek to minister to others. And a third mark of a loving spirit is found in verse 9. You remember our labor, our toil, brothers. We worked hard night and day that we might not burden any of you. Hard work. Hard work. That is a sign of a true shepherd. Every Jewish boy had to learn a trade, and Paul's trade was tent making. And rather than taking offerings from his new converts, he worked long hours into the night making tents. Perhaps as they listened to him teaching and instructing them during the daytime, these Thessalonians noticed that Paul's hands were, were not cultured. They weren't soft hands of a, of a rich man who had never worked. They were rather calloused hands of a laborer who worked hard at his trade. And they knew that it was in order that he might bless them and not be a burden on them. Faithfulness is the third and the most important mark of a good shepherd. And we find mention of it in verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father and his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The term integrity accurately expresses this. Paul says we were holy and righteous and blameless. He says holiness means separate, intended for a single purpose. In this sense, single-minded would be a good translation. The Old Testament speaks of the beauty of holiness in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and the Psalms of someone who knows that they belong and are satisfied. I've read some things where some folks think that Paul maybe had an ego, that he, he was a boaster who claimed things that he had no right to claim. But whenever he speaks of his own holiness, he makes clear that he is not responsible for it. It is the grace of God at work in him. Also, he was righteous before others. He behaved himself, resisting things which could be misconstrued or which would tend to perhaps mislead. In Corinthians, he wrote that if his drinking wine or eating meat offended, he wouldn't touch either again. He was righteous in his public behavior. And finally, he was blameless in his own eyes. Do not misunderstand that. Blamelessness in Scripture never means sinlessness. Paul did not think of himself as sinless. What he means is he is honest. He is blameless. He is honest he has dealt with all of his sin he is aware of it he judges it and does something about it he does not cover it over because he knows as he puts it god tests the heart god knows what's going on inside so paul is strictly honest with himself he does not deceive himself but confesses what is wrong and is so blameless paul had a kind of integrity about him and that's what we see here He's honest. He's he's thoroughly, ruthlessly honest from that base of a personal, a a faithful, personal life. The Paul does three things for the Thessalonians. He exhorts them. He encourages them and he challenges them. Exhortation usually takes the form of a rebuke. A father has to do that. So does a pastor at times. And so will you if you want to minister to someone's needs. But along with that, there should be encouragement and challenge. And I have to confess, as I look back on some of my relationships, there was not enough of that. Encouragement says you are doing better. I can see changes. You're going to make it. I am with you. Keep on. Encouragement is pointing out the positive value of things. And I I have to confess with sadness that there has been all too little also of challenge at times. Of saying at times, you're meant for better things. You do not have to live like this. There there are great possibilities before you. God is leading you and calling you and urging you to grab hold of those. And that's what Paul does here, pointing out that, that it is God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. These are surely the times that try men's souls. We are facing times of great danger and of crisis. But these are also the times of great possibilities. And what a challenge to live today as Paul lived and ministered in his day. As I look through through this record, through these verses, and see these three marks of a faithful shepherd, I see courage, and then secondly, a loving, gentle heart, and then thirdly, this faithful spirit. And I have to pray, and I hope you too are praying. Lord, do this in my life. Make me a blessing in my own time. Amen, and God bless.